All right, you may be seated. So I want to read two passages of Scripture this morning, one from the Old Testament, one from the New. We're talking about the importance of the preaching of the Word. And so the Old Testament reading is going to be Psalm 19. And Psalm 19 uh, is divided up into basically two sections. The first section based, uh, is telling us that God speaks to us in creation. God speaks to us in creation. He shows us his reality. And that's what we call general, what theologians call general revelation. And then God also gives special revelation. And that's the last part of this psalm. And then the final part of the psalm is the psalmist making application. So he knows God's revealed himself in creation. God's revealed himself in scripture. And then God, uh, and then he says, in light of all this, help me to behave myself. That's basically what um, what he does here. Now, um, as we go, as we read through this, though, I want you to see the value that is placed on the scriptures, so that it's a reminder to you and me that we should not take the Bible for granted. We should not have the attitude, you know, that the various disciplines of our lives, like prayer and Bible reading and, and meditating upon Scripture, that these are things that we're too busy for or that we don't have time for or that are just uh, done in a haphazard way. But these are important things for us. So then from Psalm 19, The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the expanse is declaring the works of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge there is no speech nor are there words their voice is not heard their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world in them he has placed a tent for the sun which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber it rejoices as a strong man to run his course its rising is from one end of the heavens and the circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And then we turn over in the New Testament to 1 Timothy for the preaching of the word today. 
and this is in chapter 4. And I'm only going to deal with the last part of chapter 4, but I'm going to read the whole part as part of our uh, context for it. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. That says you can eat anything, okay? Just, and then we have to talk about moderation, I guess, okay? All right. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present time, life and also for the life to come. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this that we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech and conduct and love, faith and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through a prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things for as you do this you will ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear you. Let us pray. Almighty God, we ask now that you would teach us. You've given us your word, and in your providence, this is what we have before us right now. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit's work in our hearts and lives. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Usually the longest part of a worship service is the sermon. And a lot of times we act like because it is the longest part, it's the most important part. But all parts of a worship service are important. How can we say that to praise God is less important than the preaching of the Word? Or that it's not that important that we confess our sins, but preaching is more important. No, all parts of worship are important. And therefore, you and I should approach worship with that way. We should not just think about the sermon as being sort of the main event, but we should engage ourselves in every aspect of the worship service when we come to worship. 
And it's very important that we do. But also, preaching is very important as well. And preaching has fallen upon hard times. Um, years ago, I wrote articles about people making fun of preaching, talking about the talking heads. And people would talk about the preacher as nothing more than a talking head and all kinds of things like that. And a lot of ministers have, feel, have been very much intimidated by what the world says. And so many ministers have resorted to entertainment. It's how many jokes can I tell and how much can I uh, keep people entertained while I preach or how uh, can I exaggerate and one thing and another. So there's all kinds of things that people have resorted to. But what we find is this. God says that preaching is his instrument whereby he will bring people unto himself. It doesn't mean that we don't see people coming to know him in, on, through personal evangelism and our personal conversations with them. In fact, that's the way this church is going to grow. The way this church is going to grow is not that Matt's going to come in with a cape and all of a sudden be super preacher and everything is going to fall into place. That's not how this church is going to grow. Very few churches grow as a result of the preacher himself bringing people to that church. The church is going to grow as you and I bring people to hear the preaching and to join us in the worship of God. That's how our church is going to grow and that's how it's going to grow. If you're sitting there thinking, well, now we got us a preacher, now we can do something, you're not thinking the way you should be thinking. It's a group project. It's a group work. And so, and, it, and I can show you statistically, I can show you studies that have been done with people who have come to church and statistically it is proven that it comes through people who are inviting other people and bringing other people into the body of Christ and to worship. I didn't plan to say anything about church growth. It's not in my notes, but anyway. So that's bonus. You don't have to pay anything extra for that today. Now, let's look at preaching. I'll give you four points here about preaching. Now, is this just a sermon for preachers? No, sir, read. Look at verse 16. So Paul tells Timothy, all right, Timothy, you're there in Ephesus. You're in that town in Ephesus. Pay close attention to yourself and to those to those you're teaching, persevere in these things, for as you do this, you'll ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear you. And so it's very important. You and I don't want, we, this, we're not playing games here. It's, we're talking about our own salvation. It's very important that we have a man who's preaching the word, who's preaching the truth. Because Paul says, Timothy, by your preaching and by your living, you're going to be influencing and helping people come along, understanding the faith and growing in the faith and ensuring their salvation and your own. That's what it says. All right, so let's get to the first point. The preacher and his preaching. His preaching is to be a priority. Look at what Paul says in verse 13. Until I come, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Until I come. In other words, Paul is saying, Timothy, here's your list of things you need to be concerned about. You're there in Ephesus. You've got these believers. You're their preacher for the time being. And until I come, I want you to concentrate on certain things. So preaching is to be 
a priority for him, and it's supposed to be a priority for all preachers. Maybe when Paul came, if he did, he would take over public worship and the teaching responsibilities. But for now, Timothy was it. The things mentioned here aren't the only things that Timothy would do. As a minister, he would do other things. He would do counseling. He would do a personal instruction. He would do correction. He would do all kinds of things with the Word of God, encouragement and other things. But these are things that he was to do, and these were things were to be a priority in his preaching. Now, the scripture he read at this time would be the Old Testament scriptures. We are blessed that we have more than just the Old Testament. We have additional scripture in the New Testament for what we read and what we study today. But he would be reading scripture, and this would be an important part of the worship service, and it's an important part of our worship service. It's not like we read scripture to where we get, we get to the place where we really get to hear, you know, get to see the big show and the sermon. No, the scripture is God's word. And so he would be reading scripture. There's another thing. Another thing that other churches are getting away from is reading scripture. They, they don't want to take up the time of the worship service to read the very words of God as a body. God has given his scriptures to the church. The church is gathered for worship. The church ought to hear directly the inspired word of God as they gather for worship. But in many churches today, that's not the desire. It's, it's just seen as filler. And we need to do something more exciting than reading something like Psalm 19 or 1 Timothy chapter 4. The scripture would form the basis for what Timothy would teach, the exhortations he gave, the teaching he would impart. He would warn God's people against false teacher and teaching. He would give counsel and advice based upon God's truth. He would encourage believers with God's promises. He would be teaching Christians what they were to believe, how they were to live, how they were to treat others, how they were to walk with God what their purpose in life was. All these things are contained in the Scriptures. And we read later in Paul's second letter to Timothy, he shows Timothy how Scripture is that practical. The Bible is God's practical book to give us counsel. Years ago, I gave an illustration when I was preaching. This is something else extra. I'm not going to take you too long. Don't get worried. This, so a few years ago, I gave this illustration. I said there's a book... I want to tell you all about a book tonight. And I went through all these things that this book did. How it dealt with depression. How it dealt with uh, uh, all these personal problems that people have in their life and everything. And then I said, oh, and the name of this book is the book of Psalms. And one fellow who was, uh, uh, he had a Ph.D. degree, quite educated. He, was, he knew I was going to get him something that he could probably order on Amazon. Well, Amazon wasn't even Amazon then, but he, he thought I was giving him a book that he could go buy and he could order. But no, I was telling him about the Bible. I was telling him about the book of Psalms. That's what I was preaching on that night. And what does Paul say about Scripture? All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. And so the Bible is the textbook from which Timothy is supposed to preach and other preachers are supposed to preach as well. Now many ministers do not 
study the scriptures. Many ministers see that type of study or that application to not to not work. Instead, they must look at certain uh, psychological theories or certain uh, given things for our day as that which people need to hear. But it is the Word of God. We should be those then as God's people who want to be taught. You and I should come in here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or whenever we come together, we should come wanting to be fed. Wanting to be fed. And we should become wanting others to be fed and wanting God to be glorified. That's what we should want. I'm older than anybody else in this room, I think. And I'm, I'm, I'm ready to sit at the feet of a preacher who will feed me. That's what I want. I'm not. That's only from God. That's not because I'm anything wonderful. I'm just saying, age is. I, I don't know it all. I want to be fed, and all of us need to want to be fed. I'm not saying that to promote me. I'm just saying that one never reaches the place where they shouldn't want to be fed the truth of God. I don't want some preacher acting cute. I don't want some preacher to entertain me. I don't want some preacher to wow me with his theological Greek and Hebrew and all that. I want someone who's going to open up the Word of God and apply it to my life. And that's what all of us should want. That's what we should demand. Secondly, his preaching is a calling. This is a calling that he has. Lacey talks about this from time to time. Look at verse 14. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. We emphasize that all of us have callings, all of us have talents, all of us have things that God has given us to do, and the pastor has a calling as well. And so apparently on that day that that there was these elders gathered and they set Timothy apart and maybe there was also a prophetic utterance that was given at that particular time. But even his, the laying on of hands was a statement that he was called and that he was ordained and that he should go forth. A person who was set apart, he was set apart to a task and the transfer or the sharing of the gift of the work laid up with laying on of hands upon him. Our larger catechism asks, By whom is the word of God to be preached? And the answer is, The word of God is to be preached only by those who are sufficiently gifted and also duly approved and called to that office. And the gifting and the calling, we say, is of God. It's not left up to some individual to say, God has called me. They, they may say that. Paul says in uh, in Second uh, Timothy, in First Timothy three, talks about uh, if a man desires the work, that's good. But we also have to have confirmation, confirmation by other people who are in the work, confirmation by the church, confirmation by the people of God. You know, a few weeks ago on that Saturday, when we all went over to Virginia Beach and we had that congregational meeting, our congregation was saying that we have called Matt to come be our preacher. We were electing him, in effect, to be an elder over us in our congregation. And the presbytery, when they ordain him, they will be setting him apart for this work as his calling. That's what all this is 
That's what all this has been. And this agrees with what Paul taught, that God calls people to this office, and that and that is what we see in Timothy here, and that's what we acknowledge that it's going to happen with Matt. Once he is examined, passes those examinations, and is ordained and set apart. We should recognize then when the preacher is preaching, if it is his calling, that he represents Jesus Christ. He doesn't just represent himself. He's not giving us his personal views. He's speaking to us the word of God. If you and I reject the word that a faithful preacher preaches, we are not rejecting the preacher. We are rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We may have a preacher whose personality or accent we don't necessarily like. One whose mannerisms or tone or volume or appearance or politics or any number of other things is not to our liking or agreeable to our own. But if he is preaching the Word of God faithfully, to reject him is to reject God himself. This is what Christ emphasized to his apostles when they went out. Christ said, The one who listens to you listens to me. The one who rejects you rejects me. He who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So all the disciples went out, different voices, different personalities, different mannerisms, but all preaching the Word of God. And when all go out and they're preaching the Word of God, we are to receive it. And if we reject it for any of these other types of, of requirements that we require, then we are rejecting we are rejecting Christ. We should seek the Lord through the Lord's messenger. Hear the Lord and follow the Lord and respect and love the messenger, but look beyond him to Christ, who is the one we are actually following. The third point is that the preacher and his preaching, he is preaching, he, his preaching is a work in progress. No preacher has arrived although I've seen many who thought they had gone beyond arriving, okay? <laughs> Sometimes ministers can listen too much to their own press, and they, um, we can all do that in whatever we do, right? But anyway, Timothy was a work in progress, okay? All right, look at that. Look at what it says there in verse 15. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. All right? Your progress will be evident to all. All of us are a work in progress. None of us have arrived. You know, we need to be very careful about pointing a figure at everybody else. None of us have arrived. Oh, oh yeah, sure, sometimes we think we have. But we're wrong. We haven't arrived. And the same was true with Timothy. He was to concentrate on developing his gifts and being a faithful and a good pastor. He was due to do this for the honor of God and also to benefit his people. It wasn't so he could get a raise. It wasn't for him to achieve a level of popularity. It wasn't for so that everybody would ooh and awe and listen to his sermons on sermon audio but so that he would be faithful as a pastor. 
Perhaps there are some things that he studied at the beginning of his ministry that more than he would at the end of his ministry. But he was a work in progress. He was growing. He was learning. And Paul recognizes this. Paul says to him in other places, he says, uh, Be diligent to prove yourself, approved of God as a workman who need not be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of God. Paul said the same to Titus, or something like it. But as for you, speak things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And then also he says to uh, Timothy in another place that he should, uh, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by the appearing of his kingdom preach the word be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have inching ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. When other people go out here on all these different tangents, you remain faithful. When you and I think about a minister showing progress, what do we think about? We maybe think about him being more comfortable in the pulpit. We may think about him doing uh, preaching in a certain way. We may be thinking about him making an illustration better or, or giving us a better application or something like that. I guess we could think about different things. There's those who debate how you should preach and what style you should preach in and which style is the most acceptable. I know in the OPC there are those who would debate a lot longer than we would want to listen to them about which is the most perfect form of preaching style to follow. Let me give you three preaching styles and you tell me which one is the most, uh, most acceptable. The first preaching style would be a style that's almost impossible to outline. You would just list certain things that are being said. Many of them are short, concise statements covering many subjects, and it's almost impossible, it seems, to outline. Or maybe it's a style that is a progressive historical event, more topical, like a theme from the Old Testament and an explanation of that theme. But it's a topical. There's not really a text that's being expounded. And then thirdly, maybe it's just a reading verse by verse, explaining it as you go. Which one of those would pass our test as acceptable? Well, the first one is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, he was just all over the place. I'm not, I mean, it was good. It was good all over the place, but he was. Or maybe the second one is Christ on the road to Emmaus explaining his, uh, his resurrection. Or it could be Peter. I mean, or it could be uh, Peter or Stephen in their defense. And then Ezra would be the third example. 
in the Old Testament. The point is that Timothy's progress wasn't necessarily in conformity to this seminary rule or this particular rule or anything like that. But it would have been seen in the fruit of his study and communication. It would be seen in our understanding of God's revelation, its unity, its application to our lives. Progress would be seen in his being able to give us answers and help and hope and encouragement and all the other things that we need to live out God's word in our lives from day to day. Taking God's word and applying it to all of life and seeing its presence present relevance to lead us and warn us, instruct and change us so that we honor the Lord. The larger catechism tells us how Timothy's progress would appear in different areas. And that catechism question, I didn't mean for Toby to have to go to the work of typing that out, or did you type it out, Brenda? Anyway, so Brenda typed it out. But anyway, if you look on your outline, there's the question. How is the word of God to be preached by those who are called thereunto? They are called to labor in the ministry of the word or to preach sound doctrine diligently in season, out of season. And all these are based on scripture references down at the bottom. Painly, not in enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Faithfully making known the whole counsel of God. Wisely applying themselves to the necessities and capacities of their hearers zealously with fervent love to God and souls of his people, sincerely aiming at his glory and their conversion, edification, and salvation. That's enough to make a guy say, I don't want to be a preacher. Right? Reading all that, that's the challenge. And that's all based on Scripture. That's what, that's, that's all these different phrases come from different places in Scripture. And a lot of these things are things that our culture doesn't really accept as being important. When you look at Timothy, I mean, when you look at Timothy as a preacher, he probably wasn't as polished as Apollos, who was really, who was more polished than the Apostle Paul. And you look at the Apostle Paul, a lot of people didn't like him as as a preacher because if he's so right, if he's so good, What's he doing in jail? He doesn't look like a success to me, right? He wouldn't be, the people wouldn't be clamoring for him to write books for uh, Christian publishers today. Paul was not a success story the way people judge success today. And yet he was faithful. And Timothy is called to be faithful as well. To be faithful in, in all of these different ways here. Preaching and teaching in season, out of season, not trying to impress people with all the words he can use, but being a humble man who preaches the whole counsel of God and does it with zeal and does it for the glory of God and for the good and the welfare of his people. This is what you and I want, and this is what, this is what the church needs. Finally, His preaching and his life have eternal consequences. The preacher's life and the preacher's preaching has eternal consequences. Verse 16, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. 
persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation, both for yourself and those who hear you. That's unusual. We might ask ourselves, aren't we saved by Christ? Isn't that the way we're saved? It's not through our works. We've sinned, and so our works don't save us. It's not our being good. It's not like somehow the good outweighs the bad. No, what we need is Jesus. We have sinned against God. There's nothing we can do. We can't wash ourselves clean. David didn't say in that prayer we read a while ago, I have washed myself. No, David says, you wash me. You cleanse me. You make me clean. You, 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 you clean me. And so we have to look to God. We have to look to Christ for our forgiveness. And then our, then Christ comes, just like this coat is on me. Christ comes and He puts His righteousness on us. And it counts before God. And God sees the righteousness of Christ that covers us in our salvation. And yet it says here that Timothy is to take care about how he lives and how he preaches. Why is this so important? It's important because if Timothy is careless and indifferent about his own personal holiness, then Timothy isn't a Christian either. Okay? So how many preachers don't care whether they are seeking Christ and seeking to be godly and seeking to do His will and to be faithful to Him? How many preachers are there like that today? There are a lot. And they have no reason on God's creation to believe they're Christians. And so Timothy, if he is careless and indifferent about his own personal holiness, it means he's not a Christian himself. And if Timothy is careless and indifferent about personal holiness, he's going to be careless and indifferent about what he preaches and what he says. And so you have all these preachers today who tell everybody, don't worry, God's a God of love. You don't need the forgiveness of Christ. You don't need His righteousness. You don't need to repent of your sin. We all make mistakes. God's a God of love. Why did God, why did God punish His own Son? He punished His own Son because we need a substitute. Because sin has to be dealt with. So Timothy must remain faithful. It's important for the preacher to maintain good and faithful walk with the Lord for the sake of his own soul and for the sake of the congregation. So we are blessed. We're blessed. God's been good to us to give us a new pastor or give us a pastor and give us a first pastor and we must pray for him and support him. Is he going to make mistakes? You bet he is. Just like you do. Just like I do. We're not asking anybody to come in here and be perfect. We're asking him to be faithful. That's the first thing I told the congregation when the first Sunday I became their pastor. I said, if you're expecting me to be perfect, you're going to be very disappointed because it ain't going to happen. But if you expect me to be faithful, that's what I want to do. I want to acknowledge my sin. I want to acknowledge my failure. I want you to forgive me. I want God to forgive me. And I want to go on. That's part of being faithful. That's part of being faithful. Acknowledging our sin and repenting and, and going on and dealing with it. And that's what we want. 
And that's what he can expect of us because we're all going to make mistakes too. We're all going to fail. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to become discouraged. We're going to complain. We're going to be discontent. All that junk. And then we have to say, okay, i got no business acting that way. Lord, forgive me. And we have, may have to ask other people to forgive us too. That's being faithful. Faithful doesn't mean we're perfect. Faithful means that we acknowledge when we fail. We look for forgiveness. And we get up and we move on. We're not being hypocrites. That's not A hypocrite is a person who acts like they are perfect, who acts like they've done no wrong. It's not hypocritical to acknowledge your sin. It's being faithful to acknowledge your sin. It's a hypocrite who believes one thing, who says they believe one thing, but they are a lie. And you see, as Christians, when we acknowledge our sin, we're being true because that's who we are. And we come to Christ for forgiveness, and He loves us, and He receives us, and that's the way it is. And we need to act that way with each other and with our new pastor and him with us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you love us and that you make provision for us in this life and the next. And we pray now that you would be with us as a particular congregation and with us each individually in our own lives, that we would love your truth and love you, and that we would love Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and live for him all the rest of the days of our lives. We pray in his name. Amen.